0: chapter 2 of rousseau and education according to nature by thomas davidson this librivox recording is in the public domain rousseau's life one formative period 1712 to 1741 who would command must in command find bliss Enjoyment vulgarizes. Goethe Faust, Part 2, Act 4. Human beings may, roughly speaking, be divided into two classes, the dalliers and the willers, into those who live for passive enjoyment and those who live for active mastery. The former endowed with keen sensibility and strong appetite, which tend to direct attention upon themselves and upon immediate objects and usually destitute of ambition seek to enjoy each moment as it passes pursuing no definite path but wandering up and down the field of time like children plucking the flowers of delight that successively attract them as they are going nowhere in particular they of course arrive nowhere the latter distinguished by courage and the spirit of enterprise which give their interests an outward direction and by the stern quality of ambition live mainly in the future half ignoring the blandishments of the present and finding their satisfaction in planning and carrying out great enterprises which when successful give them position and fame often a permanent place in the world's history literary examples of the former class are hamlet and wilhelm meister of the latter julius caesar and faust in mark antony the characteristics of the two contend with fatal results compare tennyson's poem will End of, footnote. of the two chief literary inspirers of the french revolution and on the individualistic tendencies of the present century the one rousseau belonged to the former class the other voltaire to the latter how then it may be asked did rousseau come to be an important factor in a great historic movement the answer is for two reasons one because like other men of his type he was thrown into circumstances which wounded his sensibility and thus driven to imagine others in which it would find free play and to because the movement in question was toward the very things which he represented sensibility subjectivism and dalliance over most of the men of his class however he had the rare advantage of being able to express his imaginings in literary form and in a style which for simplicity clearness effectiveness and almost every other excellence looks almost in vain for an equal keen sensibility uttered with confident and touching eloquence is the receipt for making fanatics and rousseau made them meanwhile his ambitious rival voltaire was making skeptics in treating of the life of rousseau it will be sufficient for the present purpose to consider only those events and experiences which in a marked degree contributed to form his character and through it to make his writings what they are persons desirous of knowing more will find ample details in his confessions perhaps the most recklessly impartial biography that ever was written his reverie letters etc jean-jacques rousseau the second son of isaac rousseau and of his wife suzanne Ne bernard was born at geneva on the 28th of june 1712 footnote the elder son seven years older than jean-jacques ran away from home to germany quite young and was lost sight of end of footnote both parents belonged to the citoyen class the highest of the five classes into which the inhabitants of geneva were divided both were protestants the father a watchmaker by trade was descended from an old parisian family his great-great-grandfather having emigrated from paris and settled in geneva in the early days of the reformation fifteen twenty-nine and retained all the characteristics of his French origin sensibility liveliness gallantry romanticism and love of pleasure the mother-daughter of a clergyman was a person of great beauty and refinement but endowed with an almost morbid sensibility which she had heightened by extensive reading of sentimental highly colored romances such as were current at the time she died in giving birth to jean jacques who was thus left to the care of a father such as we have described it will be necessary to linger for a moment on the first years of our hero's life because in them his character was formed to a degree that is very unusual he was in fact a very precocious child quick vivacious responsive a very cloud stored with lightning feelings ready to flash forth at any moment at his birth he was taken charge of by an aunt a sister of his mother's a quiet kindly person much given to embroidery and song singing she treated him with exemplary gentleness not to say indulgence allowing him to follow the bent of his own disposition which though free from any trace of malignity, continually drew him toward incontinence to pilfering and devouring eatables and to romancing in plain terms to lying his sympathetic and winning nature by saving him from correction also prevented him from becoming aware of any moral principle so that he passed his whole childhood without ever impinging upon any disagreeable aught without any other guides than his own feelings and this condition of things lasted during his entire life he was always completely at the mercy of his feelings acknowledging duty only for purposes of rhetoric as he was never allowed to go out and mix with other children in the street he learnt very early to read and write so that by the time he was six years old he was feeding his emotions and his vivid imagination upon the romances which had formed his mother's library for over a year his father and he used frequently to sit up whole nights together reading aloud in turn the most sensational and sentimental stories forgetting sleep in the nervous excitement and tearful rapture caused by pathetic love scenes heroic adventures and hair-breadth escapes before he was seven years old seventeen nineteen his mother's library was exhausted and then father and son were obliged to turn for nocturnal entertainment to the library of her father, which consisted of such works as Plutarch's Lives, Le Seur's History of Church and Empire, Bossuet's Lectures on Universal History, Nanni's History of Venice, Ovid's of Metamorphoses, and certain works of La Bruyere, Fontenelle, and Moliere, though not one of these seems to have been without its effect upon the child that which most interested him was the first of this he says through these interesting readings and the conversations to which they gave occasion between my father and me were formed that free republican spirit and that proud indomitable character impatient of yoke and of servitude which ever tormented me all my life in the situations least suited for their manifestation continually occupied with rome and with republican athens living so to speak with their great men myself born a citizen of a republic and son of a father whose strongest passion was his love of country i was set aflame by his example i thought myself a greek or a roman i became the personage whose life i was reading the stories of constancy and heroism which had struck me put lightning into my eyes and force into my voice one day as i was telling at table the story of scavola the whole company was frightened to see me go up and hold my hand over a chafing-dish to represent his action melodramatic romances and plutarchic heroisms represented the world to the precocious nervous imaginative secluded child jean jacques rousseau at the age of eight the former rendered him dreamy and fantastic the latter intractable and defiant he himself says thus began to grow and appear in me this heart at once so haughty and so tender and this character effeminate yet indomitable which always hovering between weakness and courage between dalliance and virtue have all my life long placed me in contradiction with myself and caused me to miss both abstinence and enjoyment pleasure and self-control a sad and unpromising enough result of the first stage of education in seventeen twenty when jean jacques was eight years old his father in consequence of a dispute with an insolent and cowardly french captain in which he felt himself unjustly treated withdrew from geneva leaving his child to the care of a maternal uncle who sent him along with his own son a child of the same age to be educated in the house of a clergyman named lambercier at basse a village not far from the city the cousins remained here for two years and for the greater part of the time enjoyed themselves royally the country with all its beauty freshness and freedom was new to them and they rioted in it they formed an ardent friendship for each other and were inseparable night and day they did not learn much latin and all the trifling rubbish that goes with it under the name of education but they were in the main kindly and even indulgently treated so that while they were fond of their master as well as of his sister who acted the part of mother to them they had but slight occasion to seek any other guide than their own tastes and appetites or to learn the meaning of duty it is easy to understand how with an experience like this backed by that of his earlier childhood rousseau came to believe in and passionately to maintain the natural goodness of the human character to an incident which occurred toward the end of his sojourn at Baset, namely his being cruelly punished for a slight offence which moreover he stoutly maintained to the end of his days that he did not commit may be traced the origin of another doctrine of his namely that what confuses, degrades, and blasts human nature is discipline, the restraining or curbing of the natural impulses. The effect of this incident may be described in his own words. Here came to an end the serenity of my childish life. From that moment, I ceased to enjoy pure happiness, and to-day I feel that the recollection of the charms of my childhood stops there. We remained some months longer at Basse but we were as we are told the first man was when though still in the earthly paradise he was no longer able to enjoy it it was apparently the same situation but in reality it was another mode of being attachment respect intimacy confidence no longer bound the pupils to their guides we no longer regarded them as gods who could read our hearts we were less ashamed to do evil and more afraid of being accused we began to hide to mutiny to lie all the vices of our years corrupted our innocence and disfigured our games. The very country lost in our eyes that charm of sweetness and simplicity which touches the heart. It looked deserted and gloomy to us. It had covered itself with a veil which hid its beauties from us. We no longer cultivated our little gardens, our herbs, our flowers. We no longer went to scratch the earth lightly and shout with joy at discovering the germ of the seed we had sown. We were disgusted with life our guardians were disgusted with us my uncle withdrew us and we parted with mr and miss lambercier feeling that we had had enough of each other and with small regret it would surely be impossible to write a severer criticism than this upon the sentimental undisciplined unmoral education which rousseau up to this time had received and which he afterwards put forward as the type of true education so frail is it that a single experience of what he conceives to be injustice dashes the whole to pieces turns his world into a desert and sinks him in every sort of vice of which his age is capable including even that of lasciviousness prematurely developed in his ebulliently emotional nature long nourished on sentimental romances it is said that we must allude to this painful subject here but unless we do we cannot give a correct or fair account either of the man or of his teachings he himself tells us that there ran in his veins blood burning with sensuality almost from his birth and though he professes to have remained pure in action till late in youth this is contradicted by facts which he relates the truth is his imagination was corrupt from early childhood and he was a victim not only of sensibility but of the demon's sensuality all the days of his life though this fact may move our pity its effect upon his writings must not be ignored after leaving basse at the age of ten rousseau remained for a couple of years along with his cousin in the house of his uncle at geneva here the two boys mixing with no other children attending no school and having no definite tasks made life a perpetual holiday devoted to amusement they made kites cages drums houses bows watches marionettes for the last they composed comedies which later on they exchanged for sermons rousseau occasionally visited his father who was settled at nyon in the pays de vaux here he was petted and feted by everybody fell violently in love with several injudicious women of twice his age sighed wept and went into hysterics over them and was rewarded sometimes with candy with all this he remained a mere mass of impulses ever tending to become more and more unruly violent and sensual and without one ray of moral sense to guide them so far duty had played no part in his purely animal existence so far he had received no preparation for a human life and such a life a life involving regular habits constant application obedience and self-denial he was now about to be called on to lead in a word he had to learn a profession at first when hardly twelve years old he was placed in a notary's office but found his occupation there so tiresome and unendurable that though he did not show any signs of active rebellion he was dismissed for ignorance and incapacity he was then in a crestfallen condition apprenticed to an engraver a coarse violent man by whom he was treated as negligent and unruly apprentices usually were in a short time says rousseau he succeeded in tarnishing all the brightness of my childhood in brutalizing my loving vivacious character and in reducing me in spirit as well as in fortune to the true condition of an apprentice the vilest taste and the lowest rascality took the place of my pleasant amusements blotting them entirely from my mind i must despite a most sterling education have had a great tendency to degeneration for this took place rapidly and without the least difficulty my master's tyranny finally drove me to vices which otherwise i should have hated such as lying idleness and theft comment on this is unnecessary especially when we find rousseau taking credit to himself for having but once stolen money which he did at the age of 40. lying he frequently pleads guilty to not to speak of idleness yet he was not altogether idle at this time for in order to escape from the real world of work and duty to which he neither then nor at any time knew how to adapt himself he threw himself into the unreal world of romance devouring with the nervous excitement of his childish days every thrilling or sentimental story he could beg or borrow his apprenticeship lasted about four years and came to an end in a sudden and unexpected way having remained outside the city one night till after the gates were shut and having been threatened by his master with severe chastisement for such offence he resolved rather than expose himself to this to leave both his master and his home and seek his fortune as a knight-errant in the wide world his cousin whose friendship had visibly cooled as rousseau degenerated made him a few presents encouraged him in his resolution and left him without many tears they never afterwards met or corresponded it was in 1728 when Rousseau was about sixteen years old that he resolved to become a tramp for such in very deed he became that he should do this need not surprise us it was the logical outcome of his character and training or rather want of training it is training that fits us to be members of social institutions and he had received no such thing but had been left to follow his natural instincts which were abnormally strong though he had been caged for a time the only life he was prepared to lead was that of the wild bird and to this he now having made his escape naturally enough betook himself he was now to chirp and chatter to fly hither and thither as hunger and caprice might direct to coo and make love and pilfer utterly unaware that there is such a thing in the world as duty or self-denial his master he blamed for everything had i fallen into the hands of a better He wrote nearly forty years afterwards. I should have passed in the bosom of my religion, my country, my family, and my friends a quiet, peaceable life, such as my nature demanded, amid regular work suited to my taste and a society suited to my heart. I should have been a good Christian, a good citizen, a good husband and father, a good friend, a good workman, good in everything. I should have loved my calling, honored it, perhaps, and after having lived an obscure and simple but quiet and even life, i should have died in peace in the bosom of my people soon forgotten no doubt i should have been regretted at least as long as i should have been remembered the whole of jean jacques is here he would have been good as anybody can be had he always found everything suited to his taste and heart that is pleasant and attractive but of heroic moral goodness in the midst of circumstances offending both taste and heart he had not even a conception hence when he found himself in such circumstances he was bad ready to shirk even the simplest and most sacred duties and to descend to the utmost baseness it would be uncharitable to speak in this way of rousseau even though we but repeat his own statement without good reason but in the present instance such reason exists his educational system has its chief source in his own experiences tastes and character and cannot be appreciated in its moral bearings without an impartial presentation of these by publishing his confessions moreover he has invited us to make this presentation which we can thus do without laying ourselves open to any charge of circulating malicious gossip or slander in judging him as a man we may allow him to put in the plea of king lear whom indeed he resembles in many ways i am a man more sinned against than sinning after running away from his master home and relatives rousseau lingered for a short time in the neighborhood of geneva getting food and shelter as best he could and rioting in the sense of animal liberty and romantic visions of a future career of pure ebullient enjoyment suited to his taste and heart here is one of them my moderation limited me to a narrow sphere but one deliciously choice in which i was sure to reign a single castle bounded my ambition favorite of the lord and lady lover of the daughter friend of the brother and protector of the neighbors that was enough i asked no more in the course of his rambles he passed over into savoy and at confignon finding himself penniless and hungry he called upon the cure a zealous roman catholic who by means of a good dinner and a bottle of wine converted him to catholicism Rousseau always maintained that he received a most careful religious education. The above fact shows how much it meant to a sensuous nature destitute of moral discipline to make sure of his proselyte, whose weaknesses he must have seen through M. de Pontvert, sent him with a letter of introduction to a recent convert, Madame de Veron, a person of many attractions and easy virtue, residing at Annecy this lady who lived on a pension from the king of sardinia received him kindly fed and lodged him and would gladly have given him a permanent home which as he fell in love with her at first sight he would no doubt have accepted but interested friends of hers succeeded in driving him away and transporting him across the alps to a monastery in Turin, there to undergo spiritual instruction and be formally received into the bosom of the church if during his week's journey to durin he was in the seventh heaven of romantic ecstasy and hope he found himself in quite another place on his arrival there when the iron gate of the hospice of the catechumens closed behind him he found himself in a gloomy prison among men and women of the most degraded type all paying with pretended conversion for a temporary subsistence his account of his life there and of his spiritual guides beggars belief his sojourn lasted but nine days rousseau would have us believe that he was altogether three months in the hospice but this like many other things in the confessions is demonstrably incorrect at the end of which he solemnly abjured protestantism received the accessories of baptism and was admitted into the church with gorgeous and edifying pomp then he was turned out into the street amid pious wishes and with twenty francs of alms in his pocket his romantic dreams had given place to a brutal reality still he was not daunted finding food and lodging for a few cents a day he idled as long as he could scouring the city in all directions when his purse was nearly empty he tried to find work as an engraver and after many failures managed to ingratiate himself with an attractive young shopkeeper whose husband was at the time absent he of course fell at once violently in love with her and had hopes of reciprocation when the husband returned ordered him out of the house and threatened him with a yard stick whenever he again came near it a few days later he found a place as half lackey, half-secretary with a very worthy and gifted lady whose only defect seems to have been that she kept him in his place and did not coquette with him when after a time she died of cancer he took the opportunity to steal a valuable ribbon and when it was found in his possession he said it had been given to him by a fellow servant footnote, his reason for this he says was that liking the girl and meaning to give her the ribbon he had her in his mind in the footnote, a young girl it seems of irreproachable character and stuck to his lie even in the presence of the girl and notwithstanding her despairing appeals to him He gained belief simply because no one was found bad-hearted enough to conceive any one capable of such cruel lying indeed it seems hardly possible to descend to a lower depth of infamy than this or to furnish a more drastic commentary on the sort of education which rousseau received and advocated and this is the man who is continually taking credit to himself for his chivalrous devotion to women and speaking of them in the most effusive terms the compunction which in his confessions he so eloquently parades only shows the value of rhetorical morality after leaving the house of madame de Vercelli, rousseau for a time prowled about the streets of Turin, often performing acts of so disgusting a nature that one wonders why he was not shut up in a madhouse once he was mobbed by an indignant crowd and escaped only by a barefaced lie at the same time he was visiting a certain abb who talked to him very seriously gave him wise counsel and made such an impression upon him as to be immortalized later in the vicar savoyard at last a situation was found for him the comte de la roque a nephew of madame de versilly introduced him to the comte de couvent head of a noble family who took him into his house as lackey and promised to do better things for him here he was treated with great kindness received instruction in latin from the count's nephew and for a while conducted himself satisfactorily hoping in course of time, to find his way into the good graces of the count's charming niece failing him this and suddenly conceiving an ardent attachment for an old acquaintance of his apprenticeship days he neglected his duties and his studies Was dismissed from his place refused an offer to be taken back and the two started off with light-hearted glee to resume the life of tramps rousseau recalled the delights of his journey to Turin. what must it be he thought when to the charm of independence is united that of traveling in company with a comrade of my own age taste and good humor without formalities without duty without constraint without any obligation to travel or to stop except as we please one would be a fool indeed to sacrifice such a chance for projects of ambition slow of realization difficult uncertain and which even if one day realized were not in all their glory worth a quarter of an hour of true youthful pleasure and liberty the two young men had little money but they hoped to make enough for board and lodging by exhibiting a gym crack a high rose fountain in country taverns and bar rooms disappointed in this they nevertheless continued their tramp with great jollity across the Alps, arriving finally at Chambéry, ragged and almost shoeless, here Rousseau having made up his mind to return to Madame de Vérin, with whom he had corresponded during his three years' stay in Turin, and not wishing to take his companion with him, began to treat him coolly, and the latter, taking the hint, embraced him, bade him good-bye, turned on his heel, and walked gaily off. The two never afterwards met, their ardent friendship had lasted six weeks madame de varin though surprised to see her protege, whose fortune she had supposed made come back to her in rags nevertheless received him kindly lodged him in her house and much to his chagrin tried to prepare him for some sort of regular work what he wanted was to dawdle about with her to be caressed and petted to follow the dear caprice of the moment and to have no duties or definite employment as madame De Varan at that time hardly cared to be so completely absorbed. He was sent to a seminary to learn a little Latin as a preparation for the priesthood. He hated his first teacher, but formed an ardent attachment for a second, who was weak and sentimental but sympathetic. Footnote along with the Turinese Monsieur Gam was this man, M Gattier went to form the portrait of the Savior vicar. End of footnote. In spite of this, Rousseau made little progress and was soon dismissed for incapacity. He was thus thrown back on the hands of Madame de Veron, than which he desired nothing better. Music was next tried with no better success, notwithstanding that he had great sensuous delight in it. He had not patience or persistence enough to learn even the rudiments of it and was too vain to accept instruction from teachers at last madame de varan getting tired adopted a scheme to get rid of him she sent him off to lyons to accompany home a well-known musician of somewhat irregular habits and during his absence went off to paris without leaving any address behind rousseau deserted the musician in a fainting fit in the streets of lyons he was abandoned by the only friend on whom he had a right to count i seized a moment when nobody was thinking of me turned the corner of the street and disappeared confessions book one chapter three end of footnote and hastened back to his dear mamma as he called her footnote maman she called him baby petit this was exactly the relation that suited him compare confessions book one chapter two end of footnote as he called her finding her gone he loafed about annecy for a time in somewhat disreputable company and then started off to convoy home to freiburg madame de voron's maid whom with his characteristic vanity in such matters he supposed to be deeply in love with him on the way he called at Nyon on his father who had married again and had a satisfactorily affecting scene with him being contrary to his expectation coolly received by his companion's family and finding himself without money he went to lausanne persuaded a kindly innkeeper to Boy and lodge him on credit footnote i told him my little lies as i had arranged them confessions book four End of footnote gave himself out as a parisian changed his name and set up as a music teacher his almost complete ignorance of music having soon been discovered he of course made a ridiculous failure and soon left for new Chateau. on the way he had a fine opportunity for arcadian longings and self-pity i must absolutely have an orchard on the banks of this lake lake of geneva and of no other i must have a firm friend a sweet wife a cow and a little boat till i have all these i shall never enjoy complete happiness on earth i sighed and cried like a baby how often sitting down on a big stone to weep at leisure did i amuse myself by watching my tears fall into the water At neuchatel he repeated his experiment with somewhat better success than at lausanne lausanne but having one day fallen in with a greek archimandrite who was collecting subscriptions to restore the holy sepulchre at jerusalem he was glad to follow him as interpreter with the prospect of much aimless wandering and good dinners at salue however the french minister having satisfied himself that the archimandrite was a fraud sent him about his business and took charge of Rousseau, who still pretended to be a Parisian. Having heard the youth's story, Rousseau was now about twenty. He gave him a hundred francs and sent him off to Paris, home as he thought, to be attendant to a young officer in the Guards. During the fortnight which Rousseau took to reach Paris on foot, he had a royal time, filling himself full of visions of future military glory, and then allowing them to vanish in the more passive delights of idyllic landscape. Paris, of which he had heard so much, completely disappointed him, and as his reception there was not over cordial he soon left it and trudged southward, hoping somewhere to find his mamma. During this journey he was once more in the seventh heaven, although here and there he encountered experiences which tended to sober him and which made a lasting and fruitful impression upon him. Having one day entered a peasant's house and asked for dinner, offering to pay he received nothing but skin milk and coarse barley bread the man declaring that he had nothing else. In course of time, however, feeling that his guest would not betray him, the man opened a trap door on the floor, descended and returned with a ham, some good white bread, and a bottle of wine on which, together with an omelet, Rousseau made a royal dinner. The peasant then explained to him that, in order to avoid ruin at the hands of the tax-gatherer, he was obliged to feign abject poverty. All that he said to me on this subject writes rousseau was absolutely new to me and made an impression that will never be wiped out this was the germ of that inextinguishable hatred which grew up in my heart against the vexations endured by the unhappy people and against their oppressors having when he reached lyons sought out a friend of madame de varan he learned that she was at chambury and would be glad to see him having found for him a pleasant occupation that would not separate him from her he hastened to find her but though offered a horse he walked all the way this was his last long journey on foot the end of his vagabondage which had lasted four years he tells us that though often poor afterwards he never again had to go without a meal and here it is to be noted that this vagabondage had done five things for him one it had satisfied his lust for adventure and made him willing to settle down to a quiet life two it had dispelled all the glamour attaching to courts castles palaces and high life and awakened in him a profound and enduring passion for rural simplicity three it had made him acquainted as hardly anything else could have done with the character lives needs and sufferings of the common people and awakened in him a lively sympathy for them for it had inspired him with a passionate love of natural scenery such as no one before him had ever felt so that he may fairly be called the inventor of the modern love of nature the inspirer of the nature poets of all lands Five, it had made his language the expression of genuine passion and first-hand experience and so given it a force which no style formed by reading or study ever can have all these things told in the future for nine years from seventeen thirty two to seventeen forty one rousseau spent the greater part of his time at home that is with his mamma for four years they lived in Chambéry in a gloomy old house under the most extraordinary conditions and the most immoral that it is well possible to conceive, for Madame de Varon had apparently no trace of moral sense. For two years Rousseau was employed in the public surveyor's office, but as he found every sort of regular employment irksome and intolerable, he finally threw up his place and fell back upon his mamma's hands after a season of blessed idleness he once more took to teaching music with a little better success this time most of his pupils were young ladies of good family and he made a point of falling in love with nearly every one of them as well as sometimes with their mothers and aunts observing this and fearing for his morals madame de ceased to treat him as a baby and admitted him to the closest intimacy on the death of her other intimate some time afterwards rousseau undertook to conduct her financial affairs which on account of her recklessness and her devotion to quacks and quackery were rapidly falling to irretrievable ruin he only made them worse taking advantage of her recklessness like the rest to make matters worse partly owing to certain accidents and partly to his own morbid imagination nursed on laziness his health gave way and he became an invalid for madame de Varennes to nurse being fond of the country he persuaded her to leave Chambéry in the summer and rent a cottage outside the famous charmette here he had everything his own way and for a time enjoyed perfect bliss he had his trees and flowers his pigeons and bees his mistress and his books his languors and vapors gave him an excuse for avoiding all effort or trying to earn anything, and so for nearly a couple of years he dallied away his time, helping to devour the little that remained of his poor mistress Penche, and not to speak of her patience. It is true that to while away the time he did contrive to do a good deal of very desultory reading in all sorts of subjects, geometry, algebra, Latin, astronomy, and even philosophy, he dabbled in Locke, Malebranche, Leibniz descartes and the Port royal logic he even read some theology and was on the way to a wholesome fear of hell but was turned back by the comfortable optimism of his mistress footnote it was a favorite idea of his that the interesting and sensible conversations of a worthy woman are better suited to form the character of a young man than all the pedantic philosophy of books confessions book one chapter four end of footnote at last both he and she desired a change he having dabbled in physiology came to think that his languors were due to polypus of the heart and she encouraged him to go to montpellier to be cured starting him off in a sedan chair as he was too feeble to ride on the way he fell into the most vulgar sort of intrigue with a coarse woman and quite forgot his mamma and his polypus he nevertheless went to montpellier and fitted away some months there when his money was exhausted he started off to join his new mistress but on coming to a point where the road to her parted from the road to his mamma he virtuously chose the latter his account of this deserves to be quoted as i approached Saint esprit i made up my mind to give saint the go-by-and-go-straight-on i carried out this resolution courageously with some sighs i admit but also with the inner satisfaction which i tasted for that first time in my life of being able to say i deserve my own good opinion i know how to prefer my duty to my pleasure this was the first real obligation i owed to study this it was that had taught me to reflect and compare one advantage of good actions is that they elevate the soul and dispose it to do better ones for human weakness is such that one must count among good actions every abstinence from evil that one is tempted to commit as soon as i had made up my mind i became another man we must not despise the day of small things it is well that virtue is its own reward for in this case there was no other on reaching the house of his mamma he was coolly received and found that his place had been taken taken by a traveling wig-maker of brusque noisy ways with a bleeding heart he tells us he voluntarily gave up his rights i kept this resolution with a firmness i venture to say worthy of the feeling which inspired it the ardent desire to see her happy at any price absorbed all my affections thus began to spring up with my misfortunes those virtues of which the seeds lay in the depths of my soul which study had cultivated and which only awaited the influence ferment of adversity to bring them to fruition in spite of his disappointment rousseau remained for some time with madame de ferrand but at last finding his position intolerable went off to lyons to be tutored to the sons of m de Mably, brother of the famous Condillanc. in this capacity he was not a success having but three instruments always useless and often hurtful with children sentiment reasoning anger he seems however to have retained the good opinion of his employer And he made several important acquaintances which were valuable to him in the future his morals too improved somewhat he stole nothing but wine he kept his place for a year and then as usual returned to his mamma who though she treated him kindly showed no desire to retain him nevertheless he remained with her for some time but seeing that the renewal of the old relations was impossible and that she was drifting to ruin he at last left her resolved to try his fortune in paris and hoping we may well believe sincerely if he were successful to return and relieve her at a later time here in 1741 at the age of twenty-nine rousseau passes almost suddenly from the dependent and passive period of his life to the independent and productive looking back upon the former he says we have seen my peaceful youth glide by in a quiet not ungentle sort of existence without great troubles or great prosperities this absence of extremes was in large degree due to my ardent but feeble temperament slow to undertake and quick to be discouraged shaking off inaction by fits and starts but always returning to it from lassitude or taste a temperament which continually drawing me far away from great virtues and yet further from great vices to the indolent quiet life for which i felt myself born never permitted me to rise to anything great in the way either of good or of evil though after what we have seen it is impossible to agree with the author in this indulgent estimate of himself it nevertheless contains much truth for the first thirty years of his life rousseau was a bundle of ardent desires undisciplined by either serious reflection or moral training he responded to outward impressions exactly as an animal does restrained if at all only by fear so utterly unaware was he that there is such a thing in the world as morality or duty that it seems almost unfair to apply any moral standard to his actions he is the natural man pure and simple with egoistic and altruistic instincts of a merely sensuous not to say sensual kind he had gone back to the state of nature he is a savage living among civilized men and adapting himself to their standards as far as he must he is lying, faithless, slanderous, thievish, lascivious, indecent, cruel, cowardly, selfish. Only toward the end do germs of nobler things begin to appear. Into what grotesque and portentous forms these developed in the spongy soil of passion and under the bitter rain of adversity we shall see in the next chapter. End of chapter two.